are listening to Giro Vagando, the cycling podcast at the 2021 Giro d'Italia, powered by Super Sapiens, energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Today, we are in Valle Spluga. Where are we, Brian Nygaard? Well, uh, Ricardo Moreni. Nice, I like it. We are in paradise, if, uh, <laughs> if I'm allowed nice. to say so. Smooth talking. We are sitting on the uh, high above Lake Como, Lago di Como. We're looking down on the Leno Peninsula where famous films such as Star Wars and James Bond, James Casino Bond, yeah. Royale was shot. We're looking right down on Villa Balbianello and we're, uh, the sun is setting the green light on the hill on the other side of the lake. There's a boat, there's an airplane crossing quietly into the sunset. and Some quite I've, dramatic stunning, uh, clouds. Stunning. Um, I, I think when some, there's some weather out there, isn't there? On days like these, uh, Lake Como for me, and I have, I have a lot of history with this, with this area, having lived here for 10 years, it's, I think it's the most beautiful place in the world. You used to live just along the way. We passed your old house, didn't we, as driving here yeah, this evening? Yeah, sort of 10, 15 minutes down the road. Now, you also pointed out that we're actually we're looking down on George Clooney, more or less. Yeah, he's just on the other side of the peninsula in a small town called Lalio. I think, I mean, Patrick Lefebvre last night, do you think we could be joined on the podcast by George Clooney tonight? Well, I know where he gets his gelato, because the, the best gelateria on the western shore of uh, Lago di Como is, is my old village in Argenio. I mean, I'm not sure if he's into cycling, but we can certainly put him off, can't we? Um, if he was to, if he was to join us on the podcast. Well, I know he dines where we're eating later on, which is just below where we're sitting, Richard. So, <laughs> my God, I'm getting worried about this now. You never know. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, we were doing pretty well, Daniel uh, and me. Um, but you've, I said you would raise it up a, a level, but this is not really quite what I met, had in mind, uh, Brian. But it's been great. Um, we're on the penultimate day of the Giro. I can't quite believe it's the final day into Milan tomorrow. Um, and one of the things that we do on Grand Tours, of course, is we award a peddler de charme. Um, we've been talking a lot about how good a race this has been. Daniel, a bit down on it, maybe. You a bit more up on it. Um, Significantly. Me somewhere in the, in the middle. Um, but it was in, in casting around today for nominations for peddler de charme, I was, I was sort of struck by how many um, great characters there have been in this race, um, going all the way back to the, the start. Some really good nominations for Pedro de Charme. In fact, we might have to run semi-finals and a final on Twitter to find the winner. But some names that have been um, put forward, uh, popular names, Lucky Lorenzo Fortunato, definitely a contender. Danny Martinez, obviously a contender. Taco van der Horn, Eduardo Affini, George Bennett, Dries de Bont, I think one of the stars of this Giro, really. Simon Pello and Damiano Caruso. I was about to say, you can't not nominate Damiano Caruso. Just for that one gesture today, but we'll come to that, we'll come to that. Stage 20 um, from Verbania, and uh, well, it was a, a homecoming for Filippo Ganna, the world time trial champion, and he was a very popular figure this morning. This is what it sounded like in Verbania this morning. So Ghana, um, there was a special presentation on the podium. He was reunited with his dog. Um, and obviously a lot of the, the people in the pretty sizable crowd knew him, a lot of support for him, a lot of banners and so on. And uh, a big day for him, obviously, defending Egan Bernal's pink jersey. But uh, I think he was uh, he was in his element. He appeared very early for the signing on for once because Ineos Grenadiers are always last to sign on because they've got the pink jersey. But he seemed to enjoy himself in his hometown this morning. Well, it's also, you know, everyone's a local in, in Italy more than anywhere else in the world I've been. They're so connected to where they're born, to where they live and to where their family is. I once read a statistic. I think it's it's less than 10% than any Italian who live more than 50 kilometers away from where they were born. And if not, they will always come back. And that connection is, is it's very obvious and very sincere uh, in this part of the is world. Is that changing at all or is it still the case? I think this was a book by Tobias Jones uh, that's at least 10, 15 years old. But my feeling is that it's Italian attitude towards their hometown, to where they were born. You know, there's something called the Campanalismo 
in Italian and it means that the, your world uh, stops from as far as you can see from the, t- the bell tower of your hometown. And there is that definitely, that feeling of belonging to where you're from, for, for better and for worse. But when you see Ghana, you know, the, the feelings he had for, for the stage starting in, in what I believe was his hometown is very special. Paradise is very noisy, Brian. Well, it takes a bit of work. This was a tractor, I think, one of the fa- local farmers on the way up here. You know, they grow... Um, most of the stuff we're eating tonight is grown right in front of us, Richard. Well, we were... We've talked a lot about in this year, I suppose, about Caruso and his pride in being from Sicily and how he talks about that a lot. And speaking to Ghana the other day for an ep- uh, an episode of Kilometer Zero that came out on Friday about Ghana, um, I got a real sense of him being a, a hometown boy, very much a country boy rather than a, a city boy. Um, and he is a boy, isn't he? And you forget that because he's obviously very big and, and got this very deep voice, but still a very young rider and definitely the favourite, I would think, for tomorrow's time trial into Milan. But that's still to come. Let's talk about today's stage first. Stage 20 from Verbania to Alpimotta, 164 kilometres into Switzerland today, three climbs to Paso San Bernardino, the longest climb of the Giro, um, Splugenplatt Pass, is that okay? Pronunciation. Yes. And Alpimotta at the end. Um, and uh, it was uh, it was another day when it, the breakaway struggled to get away. Um, eventually, about over an hour into the stage, a group did get away, but a very narrow lead. And again, it was partly because teams like the Koenig Quick 7 Bike Exchange were um, really thinking about the stage for their leaders. Um, uh, but a group did go away. Louis Vervac was there, Felix uh, Groschartner, Simon Pelot again, um, breakaway king. Dres de Bont was there. Now, I spoke to de Bont at the start this morning. And almost caused him to miss the stage. He wouldn't have been in that break had he missed the stage. This is what we said in our brief chat. We've seen a lot of you at this Giro. The, the impression is you've enjoyed your first Grand Tour. Yeah, I enjoyed it a lot, actually. Uh, I didn't know how my body was going to react in the in the third week of a Grand Tour, but uh, it seems to be okay with it. So <laughs> I'm just enjoying and uh, I'm really happy to be here and, 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 and even end on a high like this. I wasn't expecting it for sure. I was not a goal leader, but uh, now I'm in this position. I can't really like give it away for free. Have you been surprised at how your body? Because we've seen you in so many breakaways. Um, how many breakaways have you been in? Do you know? Uh, four. And four times the winner came out of the. I think we're leaving. So I'm gonna. <laughs> you don't want to miss the start. No, Maybe sure. I'll grab you tomorrow after the time yeah. trial. Well, as you heard there, Debon uh, realized not even midway through our interview, just as it was getting started, that the the riders were all lining up and about to set off. So he had to go, hoping to catch up with him again tomorrow. Matthew Jorgensen was also in that breakaway, and Taco van der Horn, a few others as well. Um, But bike exchange to Koenig, quick step, pretty uh, visible on the front as they approached the San Bernardino. Um, And that was pretty much the case most of the way up the climb until near the top, Team DSM came to the front in numbers. And we sort of wondered, well, in a way that was a surprise. They were working for Roman Bardet principally to try and move him up on, on GC. It transpired, and we'll hear later on in the episode from Matt Winston, their sports director. Um, on the, it was on the descent as they started coming down the San Bernardino that they got a gap. And amazingly, um, well, there were three DSM riders there, Chris Hamilton, Michael Storer and Roman Bardet, and two other riders. Damiano Caruso and Peo Bilbao of Bahrain Victorious. Caruso, of course, a rider in second overall and a rider who we have sort of characterised throughout this Giro as somebody riding defensively, conservatively, uh, trying to preserve what he has rather than to gain something else. So it was a, seemed like quite an uncharacteristic, kind of strange move by him in a way. He burned the manuscript today, Richard, he did. He did something that was the complete opposite of, of what this Giro has been so far for him and... and to me, this was such a beautiful stage because of that. And we'd all, you know, we've been talking about that for a couple of days now. That it was supposed to be a, a big showdown, a GC showdown potentially, with the, an alliance between Quickstep and Bike Exchange up against Bernal. But DSM, Baday, Caruso, especially, they took matters into their own hands, and they burned the script. And it, and it, it turned out to be a fantastic show they put on. Well, DSM deserve a lot of credit for trying something, don't they? And they are a team who uh, often works to a plan, and it's not always entirely clear what what the plan is. But when they when they when they try something, they often do commit to it fully. And um, 
it was it was a great spectacle to see these two teams with a with a common aim um, and and sort of evenly matched in terms of domestiques and leaders, uh, really um, taking the race to Bernal and Ineos Grenadiers, who were, you know, Bernal and his team were were riding a very clever uh, race behind and and really uh, managing the resources very very well. But the gap to those uh, front uh, that front group was almost a minute as they climbed the Splugen Pass. And um, Bernal still lots of teammates. He certainly wasn't panicking. Um, Castrovieco was immense for him today. Jonathan they lost Martinez just at one point on the descent. They did, and then he got back on again. Like the other day, there was a, a, a you know a mild panic when Martinez found himself on the wrong end of a split. Got back on, and he was certainly there in time for the final um, climb. By which time, you know when um, Castrovieco eventually swung off, they were pegging Caruso and Bardet to around thirty seconds. Michael Storer had done a power of work, very impressive on the climbs. He had gone by now. Um, Peo Bilbao was still there uh, working hard for Caruso. And there was a, a lovely moment when he did eventually uh, swing off himself when he got a pat on the back from Caruso as Caruso went, as Caruso caroused past him. One of the best moments of Second the Giro. I've been able to use that joke. Play on words. Um, anyway, yes, <laughs> best moment of the Giro. You say, well, it's earned one him of a, them. One it's of earned them. him a nomination for Peddler de Charme. It doesn't get much better than that. Um, Caruso very strong today. Dropped Bardet eventually. Bardet you know, pushing a really big gear and struggling to hold his wheel. He couldn't give him many turns, could he? Caruso, very deserving winner of the stage. He sat up before the line and celebrated, which really confirmed that it was about the stage win rather than gaining time. I think he knew exactly where Bernal was and that the. The, the, you know, the likelihood of him overturning a two and a half minute deficit was slim indeed. Bernal really, I mean, it was an absolute masterclass in managing your resources because Martinez, who was immense, uh, took him up to the final kilometre, really. And uh, Bernal then uh, came past uh, Martinez to come in the final kilometre alone. Uh, a perfectly measured effort by him, I think. He was 24 seconds down on Caruso. Martinez actually third on the stage at 35 seconds with Bardet. Uh, Joao Almeida, um, who I'd fancied for today's stage, just behind them, a real yo-yoing performance from him. He kept getting dropped and coming back, getting dropped and coming back. And real guts and willpower i think he did he did 12 rounds with that last climb we had a we had a, a coffee this morning didn't we with his agent ken summer and he was talking about how um his sudden sort of emergence last year as a, as a gc rider that you really took them by surprise the progress was quicker than they had expected but He's really backed that up at this Giro, I think. And, you know, he was he was more in the headlines, I suppose, at the Giro last year, holding the pink jersey for so long. And then and then just kind of holding on to fourth overall. Um, here, he's got stronger as the race has gone on. And I think, um, you know, comes out this Giro at still age 22 as a genuine Grand Tour uh, prospect for the future, for sure. Um, Yates was just behind Almeida, having also been dropped. Um, and, you know, we were watching the stage, and Yates for a long time looked really comfortable sitting behind Martinez and Bernal, and we were sort of urging him to have a go. But the fact that he then uh, started to struggle and was dropped um, told us that, obviously, he would have had a go if he could have had a go, but couldn't. On GC now, then, uh, Bernal leads Caruso inside two minutes, 159 with Yates third at 3.23, and then Vlasov at 7.07. So the, the podium looks pretty set. Um, Hugh Carthy dropped two places today. Bardet and Martinez each moved up one to fifth and sixth. Um, King of the Mountains, Jeffrey Bouchard, now guaranteed. Uh, Peter Sagan in the Chiclamina jersey, also guaranteed. Who's winning the team competition, Brian? No idea, Richard. I would guess Ineos Grenadiers, but I must look that up. Still guessing on fueling? Not sure what or when to eat and drink on rides that matter? Never again. Optimize your fueling strategy with real-time glucose data, actionable insights, and personalized analytics. We're here to help you achieve your performance goals. Go to supersapiens.com for more on how to track your energy levels and fuel for success. The Cycling Podcast Powered by Super Sapiens. I am Hannah Ludwig and I'm riding for Women's World Tour Team Canyons Ram. I've been using Super Sapiens since the end of 2020. It's basically pretty easy to put it on. You like have a device where, you, where there's a needle and then you kind of click it to your arm. Then you 
connected to an app. It works for two weeks, so that's pretty cool. The most interesting thing I learned is definitely that I feel like a lot better during the bike ride when I eat rice cakes because the glucose levels just stays higher for a longer time. And this is something I and some teammates learned and it's it was pretty cool uh, that we learned that. Super sapiens can be really beneficial because you learn how you deal with certain food during your ride and before your ride and how you just feel with it and how your glucose level is going. And even if you aren't looking at the app during the ride, you will, after the ride, see that your glucose level went down and you can like analyze why this happened and why you maybe didn't eat enough or something you ate did certain thing to your glucose level and that's something where you can improve your fueling strategy on the bike go faster and fuel the entire time Yes, thanks very much indeed to Super Sapiens, our title sponsor. And nice to hear there from Hannah Ludwig, uh, the Canyon Shram rider. is currently riding the International Lotto Turingen Ladies Tour um, and doing pretty well there. So, um, yeah, Super Sapiens, if you want to find out more about them, supersapiens.com. And if you want to enter the competition, you've got until tomorrow to do so, to win three months' worth of Super Sapiens sensors, go to thecyclingpodcast.com and find out how to send us a minute clip, a minute long clip of audio or video telling us how and why you would use Super Sapiens to help you achieve your cycling ambition. Um, well, we were at the start this morning, uh, Brian, it was a very nice atmosphere there, big crowd. And well, you spoke to a few Danes, didn't you? Yeah, I had a, a longer conversation with uh, Mikkel Honore, who I've gotten to know because I did a portrait um, on him in the paper I write for in my spare time, Weekend of Easton. And then I spoke to my good friend, uh, Chris Juliensen. We've known each other uh, since he turned pro and moved to Tuscany. And he's a very close friend of mine. And, you know, because of the pandemic and because I've been absent from bike races, because I'm doing something else now, it's just amazing to catch up with, you know, the friends I have in, in the peloton. And, and he looked good today and he did a massive uh, workload for his team again. He's become a very important rider for that team. He's a real engine uh, who is often uh, pretty prominent towards the end of Grand Tours and even on mountain stages like today. Um, and I spoke to him at the start as well. You know, it was a day that was, we were expecting a lot, I suppose, after, the, you know, stage 19 where Yates won, took back a little bit of time, and we wondered if the balance of power was, was tilting in his direction. But it's been a, a, a strange year where, where all the, the leading contenders have had bad days. Um, that, we've not seen that maybe so much in the last couple of years, but or the last few years. Um, but there have been some erratic performances from all the, 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 the main riders. But as I say, we thought the momentum was with Simon Yates to really try something again today. Um, and it was with that in mind that I spoke to Chris Yule Jensen, um, the world's most famous Irish Dane. How's your, haven't spoken to you all, Giro, how's your, how's your Giro been? Oh, it's been good. Um, my sixth, actually, so it's uh, tried a few times before, but uh, I think uh, it's always, it was just always nice to finish a Grand Tour with a, with a late stage win, especially uh, when you see how we rode yesterday as a team. So no, it was, uh, it was fantastic, and then... Still a hard day left today, but uh, I reckon we'll, we'll give it everything we've got and see what happens. It's obviously, uh, Simon's got quite a lot of momentum and seems to be getting stronger as the race goes on. Does that kind of filter through the whole team? Does that give the, the whole team a lot of momentum? Oh, big time. I think, yeah, again, I've said it before that, you know, he's a rider that, that okay, now he's he, also, he is now one of the more experienced GC riders when you think of the amount of youth there is uh, in the top uh, echelon of, of, of GC riding, really. Um, but but nevertheless, you know he's he's super confident, but at the same time very relaxed, and that filters through the whole team, the staff, the riders, and uh, I think uh, we could feel yesterday that he was confident, um, and I think you know that's that's a feeling that riders such as myself can only really dream of, of you know before a massive mountain stage, knowing that if you're in a right in the right position on the final climb, then you know you have you have the legs and, and the class to finish it off and, and actually win. So uh, and that was that was the case yesterday, and I think. Uh, 
that makes a big difference before you start and uh, when the plan is to control the race and try and set them up for, for a stage win and then, then it all uh, yeah it all plays to our favour. And there is a sense that you know while Simon's kind of moving forward Bernal is maybe slipping back a little bit who knows whether that will be enough but you know people are people watching are thinking a big surprise could be on the car so I guess the question is would Simon be willing to risk everything to try and produce a, a big surprise or do you think you know the podium would still be a fantastic result for him I think uh, the podium would be a big Mickey Mouse plaster for him because obviously he came here to win but on the other hand he's he's shown that he's he's definitely one of the strongest uh, riders certainly the strongest rider this last week and uh, you really can't ask for more you know uh, again the the riders he's up against Bernal he's also uh, brought his top game and then it's it's a question of you know those few percentages uh, on on the deciding days, um, so so today there's there's you can everything to win. You, obviously he could he takes a risk, but uh, you got to risk it uh, risk it for the biscuit as you say. <laughs> um, and I think uh, Simon also has the experience from 2018 where he he knows what it feels to be under pressure uh, a few days ahead of the final where everyone's expecting uh, you to win. Um, and that, that could be the pressure Bernal and Ineos are feeling now. They've been in control and ridden a great race, and Bernal has shown he's, 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 he deserves the, the pink jersey, but anything can happen on a day like today, and I think uh, the last three climbs will more or less just decide how the race develops. So that was Chris Hugh Jensen at the start, the Team Bike Exchange rider. And yeah, as you say, Brian, he was very prominent and did a, a great job for his team. Um, and it... It, it followed the same script uh, until DSM took over as y yesterday, didn't it? Yeah, it did. And coming back to what you said before, you, we, we always expect a lot and we strategize sometimes on behalf of the teams and sometimes based on what they tell us. But we expected something, but we got something else. And I, I was very happy with what I saw today and how the bike race evolved. And when they took the initiative, DSM and, and Brian Victorious, it changed the the rhythm of the stage completely and and some of the the riders Simon Yates being one of them who was supposed to be on the offensive ended up being very much on the on the defense and it was all because of that move on the descent from the San Bernardino because um suddenly his his podium aspirations were in threat I think you know a day earlier it looked like Yates would would probably overhaul Caruso uh, and Yates would be able to at least get second uh, but here his and that it looks very much now as though Caruso will will finish second, uh, but Caruso going up the road was sort of off script, wasn't it? Yeah, it was an incredibly brave move. You know, for him, it it would have been a live stream just to be on the podium, and then he would have been extremely content with that. He was, I think, for Brian Victorious, the, the third the third man, I would say, after after Landa, and had a designated role to help Landa uh, potentially win the Giro, but he's found the legs of a lifetime, and and. I think the dream that's been unfolding in front of us for, for Damiano Caruso as a rider and and the, a rider with that type of role and that type of career behind him, seeing him, him do that, for me, is, is, it, is such a special moment and it's one of the most beautiful things in cycling when that actually happens. And I think we should be extremely appreciative to, to witness moments like that because I think there's a... There's a certain there's a lesson about life in, in everything that's important in cycling, and the one the one about Damiano Caruso and this Giro is that it, it's never too late to dream big, and then when you have the legs, you have to go for it. But we see this in cycling a lot. We've seen it a lot recently, where riders um, are given opportunities because misfortune befalls their leader, and and you see them doing things that that maybe they didn't realize they were capable of, but certainly we didn't realize they were capable of, and. We've seen it a lot in this Giro, actually. I think an, an, an example that comes to mind is also Alessandro Remarchi and, and what he gave uh, his team and, and I think the, a, a crowning achievement for his own career. I mean, those moments are, are so incredible. And, and to me, sometimes they, they mean a lot more than, than when I want to see or predict a certain GC uh, arm wrestle. And those moments to me are, are at least just as much joy and, and inspiration when I'm watching bike racing. I must say though, when I was watching the, the stage unfolding, Caruso was in that front group with Storer, well, Hamilton first, Storer, Bilbao, you know, doing, doing the work. Um, he was, he wasn't, it wasn't costing him any more effort or energy than, than, than Bernal in, in a similar position in the group behind, you know, getting away in the way that he did on the descent. It was a, 
it was a, an opportunistic move, if you like, to, follow, the, to follow that. Extremely courageous. Yeah, and courageous. courageous um, but it wasn't a sort of do or die attack on a climb. It was a it was a move that he managed to get 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 into, and then he was in a very very good position by being there. Yes, I would still say there's a there's a huge um, element of courage in it because had he. Uh, overspent his efforts on the last climb, and had they had the attacks come, he at that point he wouldn't have had any idea that that Yates wasn't on one of his best days, and had he spent all that energy because he did the, all the work, but they didn't really do, and he couldn't do any turns. If Simon Yates had attacked from behind with Almeida trying to drop uh, Egan Bernal, he could have compromised his position on the podium potentially, at least his second his second place. So I think the the courage that that takes and and his ability to finish it off, it's. It deserves all the credit that, that we can possibly give. I mean, there were, the Caruso's shown signs of before. He has finished in the top 10 in Grand Tours before. But I remember the stage at the Tour de France last year um, up to um, Maribel. You remember up with a very steep climb at the end. Bahrain really took it on that day for Mikel Landa. And in the end, Landa cracked. But Caruso was still very, very strong and, and rode into a strong overall position at the Tour. There were, there were signs there that... You know, he's certainly capable, perhaps, of a lot more than he's shown for a lot of his career. Um, but the other story was Team DSM today and the, the ride they did. Um, and I spoke at the finish to their sports director, Matt Winston. Very impressive uh, team performance today. Um, I know you like to plan things. Was that was that more or less exactly how you planned it this morning? Uh, yeah, it was, it was maybe we started a little bit earlier than the original plan. Uh, but for sure, that was the plan. We wanted to... Uh, really take the race on and uh, move Ramon up on the GC. Um, and sometimes, yeah, it, it, it was planned, mate. And probably we started maybe one or two kilometers earlier, but it was just the right moment when Nico came back from the break to still use him and use his uh, ability. So we uh, we utilized it and we saw the right moment and, uh, yeah, and went for it. But the plan was to uh, for Ramon to come into the bottom of the final climb with a gap on the peloton. Um, and and see whether we could move up into the top five, uh, which we managed. So, yeah, I think quite a successful day, really. And interesting, you went on the descent rather than you know anywhere else. Was that did you? I mean, Bardet is a good descender. Was that the reason for that, or or did you think there was an element of surprise there? Well, we we pulled pretty hard on the climb before the descent, so we kind of we we didn't kind of come from behind and uh, and really try and kind of catch people by surprise. We 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 made our intention clear that we were we were going to ride at this moment, and we also knew that maybe uh, Ineos wouldn't pull full gas to chase us uh, in the descent. Um, so there was an, a little bit of an element of we can use the descent to our advantage. But it wasn't a full uh, attack on the descent. It was, yeah, we just used the course at where we where it best suits our strengths, really. And I mean, there was a great alliance with uh, you know the two Bahrain victorious riders. Um, was that just something that happened out in the road? And, and in the end, you know, was that a good thing him being away with Caruso, or did that maybe play against him a little bit? No, I think it kind of it was definitely not something that was that was pre-planned. And when they came across, then. Um, yeah, immediately, kind of, we have we have guys that are also have a vested interest and not necessarily only thinking of the stage. Um, they're also thinking about time on GC. So we had kind of we wanted to move up on the GC. They want to secure second place on the GC. So we were yeah we were able to form a, an alliance on the road and they both had teammates with them. So the teammates could also commit and the guys could sit back a little bit and then uh, wait for the final climb. So that kind of just came into our into our hands a little bit out on the road um so yeah we used it to our advantage really and just finally matt i mean you know you've obviously worked um with with younger gc riders before what's it been like working with someone of of roman's experience um at this giro yeah i think roman's fitted into the team really well this year um he's uh in the meetings he he gives his input as does everybody else and he's a he's a quieter guy but when he, he uh, has something to say he makes sure that kind of yeah, it's it's understood and um, and kind of the guys have really been receptive to that and I think we've we've we might not have pulled off a, a stage win or kind of a podium position in the GC but I think we can be uh, really proud of how we've ridden as a unit through this race um, and and kind of the commitment that we've showed so I think yeah on reflection it's been a, a pretty good Giro. The Cycling Podcast at the 2021 Giro d'Italia is supported by Science in Sport. Science in Sport. Fueled by science. Thanks very much indeed to Science and Sport, our 
uh, sponsor since 2016. If you want 25% off all your science and sport products, go to scienceandsport.com and enter the code, Brian. Oh, I really you look a panic you in your eyes. Off, look a panic was, in your eyes. I was gazing towards yeah, the southern end of the Towards George Como. Clooney. Yeah, my mind was elsewhere. I'm sorry. <laughs> SISCP25. SISCP25 at scienceandsport.com for 25% off. you still got time to predict tomorrow's winner. Go to thecyclingpodcast.com and enter that competition to win an £80 bundle of science and sport, uh, sports nutrition products. Um, I did look up best team. Uh, it is any Oscar Grenadiers. Who's second, do you think? Brian Victorious? Nope. Uh, it's actually Jumbo Visma. I mean, they've got Tobias Foss and George Bennett uh, kind of up there. So there you go. Surprise, maybe. Um, Brian, you keep uh, pushing the... Well, you, you, you're, you're upping the enthusiasm. This is not... This is very different doing podcasts with Daniel and Lionel um, who, who, who look at the race in a slightly, maybe a slightly different way. But... Um, you're, you've been very uh, exuberant, enthusiastic about the Giro. Yeah, there's a lot more to the Giro than the, the bike racing, which I've, I've been thrilled by. Uh, for, maybe it's also more on a personal level to be back in Italy. It's, this is a place I spent 20 years of my life. The defining years of my adult life is this, this is where I met my wife and this is where my children were born. And, and it has such a, holds such a special place in my heart. But the atmosphere and, and seeing Italy opening up again, seeing the excitement and, and the beauty of what the Giro can do to, to people here and visiting either from at home or, or traveling with you and Daniel these regions and seeing places that I know and this morning you know when we were at, at the start seeing the joy of people when they when Filippo Ganna came to the sign-in and the excitement on the climb and, and, and watching it as a spectator which is something that I ne- never really had the privilege to do in, in, in my work life it, 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 it brings out such a, a, an immense joy and, and and we all know how much Italy has struggled with the pandemic and I think last year was almost a miracle that, that they were able to to run the Giro and, and this year seeing people this way and, and feeling very closely that Italy is opening up again and the world is, is going to be it's, it's, we're going to be back to normal sometime soon and the first glimpses of that I've, I really feel I've, I've seen during this Giro and, and that gives me such a hopeful and, 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 and joyous feeling and that, that it's probably one of the reasons why I'm I'm a lot more excited by some of the racing than, than maybe you or Daniel are. <laughs> oh dear. Um, I, I guess you, a lot of your, your work in cycling has been, uh, you know, in, in commentary for, for Danish TV or with teams. You probably see less of the, ra- physically less of the racing and less of the riders and, and I think just being able to touch the race in that way and be able to watch it and one thing we always try to do with the podcast is is to get roadside sometimes and watch the race go past. I haven't been able to do that as much. I did that Giro. on the on the Montalcino stage, and you know it was, it was an obvious stage for me to go and see because I'm also very interested in the in the agricultural part of of, of Italy in in terms of winemaking. But to be able to to be on the wide and on the gravel roads and seeing the the favourites pass and the breakaway and and talking to people alongside of the road and those those moments are, are so special special. And I didn't do any of that in in all the years I worked in cycling and. I, I was very privileged to work for some great teams and experience some fantastic victories, but I've never really done it the way, and I've, I certainly haven't done it the same way that I'm doing it now with you, and I'm, I'm extremely thankful. I think a lot of people who work in, in cycling, and particularly maybe on teams, become quite jaded with it because an awful lot of the job is is traveling and and uh, having a very kind of narrow job within the sport and a very narrow perspective as a result of that, and, and really not being able to see enough of it we're very we're very lucky with the podcast and for all daniel and lionel's uh um um own form of jadedness if i can call well, they're it all serious journalists of course you know. yeah we're, we're trying to not not be fans yeah you know we're well, trying I, to be I'm, journalists i'm trying to con- control the, the fan element but I'm, I'm unfortunately i'm not but there's also an the ability to travel again the ability to to meet people to drink great wine in in, in good company that's that for me is 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 life and and to be able to to li- to live that type of life again and and do it in, in excellent company and we, I think we, we spoke about that the other night that we're also vicariously doing things that a lot of people still aren't able to do and you know I've been fully vaccinated for quite a while and and I'm very conscious that that's not the case for a lot of people including people who are who, who are older than I am so I'm I'm very humbled by by the ability to be able to do this and I think we also trying and, and, and bringing people closer to the race via the podcast until they can 
they can also take part of it in, in a different way by being there. I, I, yeah, and I think we Daniel certainly was uh, um, relishing the, the the travel element and the the ability to once again get out uh, to some of his favorite parts of Italy. Um, that's been a, a big uh, part of this Giro experience and hopefully a big part of the podcast too. Um, I spoke to a couple of writers on this kind of topic. Um, Larry Warbass, who was in the breakaway yesterday and rode that uh, October Giro last year, which really did feel uh, like it was behind closed doors and, and the weather wasn't wasn't great for much of it. Um, so I was keen to get a contrast from him between this Giro and that one. And let's hear from Chris Jensen again also on a similar topic. You rode the October Giro. Uh, has this one felt more like a, a normal Giro? I can't speak too much to what a normal Giro would be, uh, just because, yeah, I've, I guess I've only really done one full normal Giro before this, uh, and uh, I wasn't in the best shape. So um, this felt actually a bit easier than last year. Um, the last week last year was really, really brutal, um, and this year it was a bit more humane, it seemed. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I guess uh, the weather sucks for a while. <laughs> I mean, I suppose we've seen fans returning. Some of the stages yesterday in particular had lots of fans. That must have been great in the breakaway going through. That Has that felt nice to, to just experience that again? Yeah, that's been really nice. Like Especially on, like say, Sega Diala, the really steep climb the other day. I mean, the fans were amazing. And then, uh, yeah, some of the other days, like there have been so many people and Sometimes we've just gone through these big towns and there's just been thousands and thousands of fans. And it's like, oh, that's actually pretty cool, you know? It's like I, I was reflecting the other day, like, yeah, last year it was like we just kind of rode through a dead place, you know? So it's nice to have a bit of life back in a lively country. And we're finishing in sunshine. That's nice. Happy about that. And how have you found this uh, Giro, Chris? I think you rode the October Giro last year as well, didn't you? No, no I, last year I, I did the September Tour. The September it was Tour. All, yeah, upside down last year, so it's hard to say. But how, I mean, it was a very strange year of racing last year. How has it felt this year with more fans returning and the Giro back in its usual slot? But there's been a sense, certainly on some stages yesterday in particular, where there have been a lot of fans like, what's that felt like from a rider's point of view? Oh, to me, I, I, I'm all for it. You know, I, I think it's great. It, it, it just gives you that extra extra boost. Um, seems like the peloton and everyone else has sort of learned how to adapt with the COVID COVID restrictions, and uh, yeah, it, it's shown that uh, everyone within the bubble have, have respected the bubble and uh, come out the other end healthy and happy. Um, and for there to be fans here, I mean, I, I also, the more we get to know about COVID, the more we know that you know the risk of catching COVID outdoors is is less than if it was, it was all inside so I, i'm happy to see the fans the italian fans are are one of the reasons why the giro is such a great race and i think speaking as a, a bike exchange rider then uh, then um you know they 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 seem to love simon the way he animates the race i don't know if they they, they sort of they see a resemblance in uh, a pantani, pantani nibbly kind of rider who likes to attack and uh, I think that, that suits their, their style and their nature quite well. Uh, and uh, that makes riding the Giro even more enjoyable for, for us. That was Larry Warbass and Chris Yule Jensen. And we'll hear a bit later on from our diarist, James Knox of the Koenig Quickstep, who, who may well touch on that too. Because, yeah, certainly today, I mean, there have been other stages as well. The one that went into Slovenia, uh, notably when there were a lot of fans out. But today at the start and... Um, on some of the climbs, it really did feel like a, a normal Giro, I think. Yeah, it did. I was actually surprised to see how many people were out on the on the final climb. There was a, two, three rows of ex, ex, you know, the completely exalted. What's the, what's the word here I'm looking for, Richard? Excited, exuberant. Ex, exuberant Italian, I would take it, fans. Really enjoying the chin, Richard. We Cheers. just got our first glass of white wine here. From Friuli, actually, and mm. I missed that part of the the Giro when I was back home. Yeah, so I think that was this morning and today. It really felt like the Giro of 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 yester of yesteryear. You the know, Giro, the, the Giro's back. Yeah, and that that feeling of excitement where people actually can be on the side of the road and be close to the riders. I think that was wonderful. Yeah, and I wonder. I mean, it does get me thinking about the the Tour de France. My 
suspicion is that that will be a, uh, not 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 quite as open as as the Giro has been. Um, certainly for us as journalists, I think the um, the way that will be managed will be a bit tighter than it has been at the Giro. Um, the Giro has been been great this this time actually for. Um, being allowing us to get quite close to the riders and do do our interviews and so on. Um, well, it remains to be seen how the how the tour will be, but there've been some uh, you know aspects of uh, racing in in COVID times that are probably here to stay. With the we have very organised mix zone system at the start and the finish now, that'll probably stay. But if that's combined with uh, the ability to go to the buses and uh, walk around those and and have conversations with people that way and interviews. That would be actually an improvement on what we had before, I think. Yeah, I agree. Compared to all the, the Grand Tours I've done, I was positively surprised to see how well-organized the, the mix zones are. And I think for journalists, it must be a lot easier to approach riders in this way and get in, get interviews done properly. And then, But I think also when as a journalist, you work a lot with your sources and, and you need to go and talk to people where it's actually not an interview, but where it's a conversation to try and understand what's going on. Yeah, cycling's always been a kind of gloriously amateur sport in a way where interviews would be just as riders stepped off the bus. Hey, Chris, would you mind having a word rather than, you know, having it actually formally set up? What we have now is a, a sort of hybrid situation where there is an element of formality to it. You do arrange, you do set up interviews in advance with teams, press officers principally. And it's been, it's worked pretty well, I have to say. Um, so, Brian, we're just... Uh, reflecting i suppose on the Giro, we'll do that again in tomorrow's episode as the i think as the time trial unfolds we'll go into milan and and watch the race um there isn't the same you know the Giro's had some thrilling final time trials isn't it where the race has really been undecided thinking of 2017 when tom de moulin went from fourth to first on the final day also um, the drama last year when it was very close between the... the well, yeah, Theo Gegenhart um, had to... Well, the first time he wore the pink jersey was on the podium in Milan, wasn't it? Exactly. Not quite the same uh, tomorrow. Um, Bernal should be okay, but um, I think we can we can say now, and we'll maybe hear from other riders tomorrow about Bernal, but a very deserving winner. But, you know, one of the questions that's lingered has been how would he match up against Pogacar and Roglic? And I... I think I don't think there are any firm conclusions about that because he's he's not appeared invulnerable. I'm not looking for for firm conclusions. I'm looking for the potential of seeing some of the the greatest athletes of these of of their generation at a you know and, and a very long age at a very early age. Sorry to to see those guys up against each other. That that's the next thing. It, it'll be. I think we're in for after. You know, I have to say we, we probably haven't had in the last decade the most exciting Grand Tours um, in the history of cycling. But I think we're, in a, we're at the doorstep of, of a golden era now when I see the style of, rise, of riding that, that wins the Grand Tours. It, it's, it's back to being one on the climbs. It's back to being one on the aggressive racing, creative tactics, and really making the difference in, in the high mountains. And, and that's really what I think cycling is and, and what it should be. And I think there's sort of intricacies of, of how the the race uh, the courses will be in, in the next uh, many grand tours and I think they will I think they'll actually try and design courses where we can expect that type of, of riders being up against each other you know and I think the addition of cobblestones in the Tour de France addition of gravel roads here is, is, is come to stay Francois Tomaso who should be here of course sitting where you are now uh, <laughs> would say uh, that certainly serial grand tour winners are effectively time trialists who can climb that's his argument. There are very few serial Grand Tour winners who are not time trialists who can climb. So that's still the question for me about Bernal because, well, he'll have won two Grand Tours after tomorrow, but is he the sort of rider who will establish a dynasty? You know, be- become the the, the favourite and the, the consistent winner of the Tour de France year after year. I think the jury remains out on that. Yeah, definitely. And isn't that fantastic? Yes, I guess it is. <laughs> when you put it like that. Well, Brian, we've just had tonight's dispatch in from James Knox. Um, haven't obviously listened to it yet, so let's hear what he had to say about today's stage. Here we are, currently in the back of the bus, en route to Milano. Absolutely hanging. Feel rough as a bit of a shell. I'm just gone. I'm just completely. Yeah, dying right now. Um, pretty eventful day, in fairness. 
we had a pretty similar plan to yesterday, as which did Mitchelton, sorry, Bike Exchange. And yeah, it all started in a pretty similar fashion. Boys controlling the brake, making sure it wasn't a, the brake wasn't too big, making sure there wasn't too many strong guys. And that all went quite quite swimmingly, to be honest. Um, and then Elio was pulling with uh, Hepburn and Juliansen. And it was a long old climb that first one, San Bernardino. And then yeah, about. 7k, I think, from the top. DSM made a big acceleration. Um, that really finished off most of our lads. I stayed with Joao there. Um, Seri fought like a trooper. Um, and yeah, and it looked to be under control when we went over the top. Um, but the DSM lads went fast down the descent. And from, from where I was, 20th, 30th wheel or whatever, it just looked like Ineos were happy to just not take any risks and let the the three I think it was three don't think it was four the three DSM lads just just go for it yeah, I guess you know the, in terms of uh, time on the GC there was no particular stress they just wanted to ride conservatively and then that's odd and then did see the two Bahrain lads jump across again they didn't react they just kept riding their own pace down the centre um, and it was kind of panic stations for a moment there. We came into the shit weather, we were going real fast down that valley. I guess Ineos thought that was a moment to close the gap while they could, but yeah, clearly the guys ahead, they were going really strong, they went straight across the break. Started the next climb, the Spluga, or whatever it was called. And yeah, it was hard, it was too hard for me, I managed about half of the climb, I reckon. Um, but I kept battling because I was sort of, you know, I didn't know the situation, didn't know what happened. And obviously, I was on his own at that point. So yeah, I kept battling and battling and battling and came over the top. Not too far behind, you know, I was in this sort of no man's land, came down the descent and I could see them on that bit round the reservoir, whatever it was, little flat, 2, 3k. Um, but I was going nowhere with, uh, got, with, with a couple of Astana lads who were going backwards also and then the group behind with uh, some strong lads who also were defending GC positions. Formula was there with Lucy and three, uh, two FDJ lads with Valter, the Hungarian lad as well. And yeah, and then and they, we, we made a pretty fast pace to be honest. We went down the hill as fast. FDJ lads were tearing apart. You know, presumably they were only just doing the best to defend GC positions. And then by the last climb, I was just taking a kick in uh, for nothing really you know the race was gone uh, just hanging on just trying to get as far as I could towards the finish and then yeah I think on that last climb maybe 8k 7k something like that I, I sort of let them go and just went as hard as I could at my own pace and yeah I was happy to see the finish line um, and then yeah obviously I haven't even mentioned him but Joao did exceptional again um, obviously our plan was to go for the stage win didn't really sort of got, got out of you know our control there in the high mountains we yesterday we could make a difference but yeah today we couldn't really make a difference he was on his own there for the last 50k but he rode pretty valiantly sounds like he was you know ding-donging yo-yoing off the back just kept chipping away letting the gap go bringing it back letting the gap go bringing it back um and he closed in on a bit of time he closed in on Carthy a little bit closed in on Vassoff a little bit and in the end, yeah, he's in, he does a sensational time trial tomorrow. He's still got the possibility of moving almost to the top five. So, yeah, he'll be dead serious tomorrow. Remy will be dead serious tomorrow, and I'll I'll be crawling around. But I will be crawling around chasing Pete Seri because I managed to you know managed to do him the dirty and overcome the little deficit I had today. So. I was really hoping I'd be chasing him, but um, Cataldo slipped in there in between, so that's a bit of a howler, um, a real howler. Uh, I would have loved that. That was, a, you know, that was that would have made my day, even if you know, even if I didn't have the legs to actually catch him, just you know, getting his head, intimidate him a little bit. But as it is, I can't see myself closing a two-minute gap. But uh, yeah, I'll be asking the mechanics to put 
four bar in his in his tires. What else can I do? Um, what else can I do to slow him down? You know, just anything. Well, we'll do our wine glass rating tomorrow. Um, we're going to be eating is here. That, is that an hour hands, or is it actually Daniel having the last word on that? What do you mean? No, I'm, no I'm, we, we, I think we're allowed to give it a wine glass rating, aren't fantastic. we? I mean, Daniel's is definitive, obviously. Yes. I mean, he, he's he's the authority, the sort of Michelin guide, the whatever you have for wine. What's the equivalent in wine? Not Vivino, which is why, <laughs> which is why I use for my there wine. Is, I think there, you know, there's two of the most prestigious titles in wine. One is the Master Sommelier. And then there's the master of wine, and uh, neither neither him nor I can claim that kind of uh, credential in in wine. But I think in cycling we we know we know what we like, and we 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 have some history with the with cycling and and wine. For and those that don't know, I should say Vivino is is an app, and I can every time I get my phone out to take a picture of a label, uh, I can I can see Daniel and Brian flinching and looking kind of embarrassed by. No, I'm not embarrassed. He, this heathen in, their, in but, their midst. But I think you've noticed with me, you know, we have we spend a lot of time at a professionally level, you and I, over the last uh, decades, I guess. But um, I'm I'm more at this stage in my life about enjoying the moment and what's right in front of me, including now a, a beautiful Sauvignon from Friuli. Absolutely. Well, um, as the sun sets over the mountains here, <laughs> high above Lake Como, um, we better go and have our dinner, Brian. Is this a place you've eaten in before? This is a place I've I've always come back to, uh, even before I lived uh, at Lake Como. And I, I think it's it, you'd be hard to hardly pressed to find a, a better view from any restaurant. And, and luckily here, the you know, the owner Luca is a, is a brilliant team in the kitchen, and uh, you're in for a fantastic dinner, which I can. I but can no say Patrick right Lefebvre tonight. No, we'll not yet. A, anyway, we'll, no, not yet. We'll have to do without him, but. If it's just if it ends up just being you and me, Richard, it will be okay. It'll be fine, very romantic dinner, Brian. And tomorrow we'll head into Milan and, and have lunch and bring you the final podcast of Giro Vagando. For now, thank you very much, Brian. Thank you, Ricardo.